Good morning again. Welcome to Prairie View Christian Church. Thanks for joining us here this morning. Carlo Acutis died of leukemia in the year 2006, and sadly, he was just 15 years old. He was a devout Roman Catholic, and not long after he died, there was a strong push for the Roman Catholic Church to formally declare Carlo Acutis a saint. Now, what did this young man accomplish to warrant such respect? Was he a prodigious theologian? Was he a miraculous healer? Was he a champion of prayer, a courageous defender of the faith, or a committed advocate for the poor, like so many saints before him? Well, actually, Carlo Acutis was not any of those things. Carlo Acutis was a computer programmer who created a website to help spread the Catholic faith. I share that story as an illustration of how quickly our world is changing. There are forms of technology in this very room that not even George Jetson could have imagined. And with revolutionary new developments introduced on what seems like a daily basis, It would be wise for Christians like us and churches like ours to stop, take a breath, think deeply, pray fervently, and seek wisdom from God's word about what this all might mean for us. How do we nurture our own spiritual health in our current day and age? How do we fulfill the Great Commission in a world that looks very different From the world of the New Testament? How do we pass the faith down to coming generations whose lives will look very little like ours? How do we respond to possibilities, both good and bad, that believers have never had to consider before? How do churches like ours adapt our strategies without compromising our doctrine? These are the kinds of questions that we'll be asking in the coming weeks. Today, we'll do a sort of broad overview about how Scripture might encourage us to think about and use technology in a way that glorifies God. And then we'll take three more Sundays to hone in on some specific areas of application. But as we begin this morning, open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 4, verse 17. Feel free to use one of our Bibles if you have one. Take a Bible home if you don't have one. But with that, let's pray before we do any reading. Father, again, thank you for this day. Thank you for all that you've given to us. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for the opportunity to gather here and worship on Sunday morning. Thank you for the people who have been worshiping here for a long time. And thank you for the new faces. Uh, I pray that we would be welcoming and hospitable to new people this morning. Uh, I pray that our worship would be honoring to you. Uh, I pray that you would help us be thoughtful in our worship, uh, that we wouldn't just come in and put things on cruise control, but that we would be really engaged with your word, uh, engaged with the words that we sing, engaged with the words that we pray. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would focus our hearts and focus our minds on you this morning and help our worship be pleasing to you. Thank you that we are justified. 
by the body and blood of Christ. Thank you that your kingdom has come in one sense and is coming in another sense. I pray that you would give us perseverance and endurance until that day truly comes. Lord, thank you that we're indwelt by your spirit. Uh, I pray that we would recognize our own identity as saints by faith in Christ and that we would live like the saints that we are. And Lord, again, thank you for this morning, these people, this place, this time. Again, help us think critically about how it is that we live in this world in a way that glorifies you. We love you. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Well, you might think this sounds far-fetched, but as old as the Bible is, technology is seen in its earliest pages. Human beings made in God's image, possessing some, though not all, of God's attributes. Attributes like intelligence, creativity, the capacity for relationship. From the very beginning, we have been inventing Developing and imagining new things. Look at Genesis chapter 4, starting in verse 17. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. Cain is one of the sons of Adam and Eve. He killed his brother earlier in chapter 4, an illustration of the sin that was unleashed in the Garden of Eden. When he built a city, that's a big technological development, the first city we see in the Bible, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. To Enoch was born Erod, and Erod fathered Mahujael, and Mahujael fathered Mahushael, and Mahushahel fathered Lamech. And Lamech took two wives. The name of the one was Adah, and the name of the other Zalah. Adah bore Jabal. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all those who play the lyre and pipe. Zillah also bore Tubal Cain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tubal Cain was Namah. So not long after they leave the Garden of Eden, humanity is doing, discovering, and making new things. Of course, some of this technology is good. The ability to farm and raise and tame animals. The ability to play music. The ability to create tools of iron and bronze. All of those things can be used for humanity's good And God's glory. But we also know that these same abilities can be used to our detriment and can be used against God's good purposes and God's good design. You can use nuclear energy to power a city or you can use it to flatten a city. A historian of technology at Georgia Tech named Melvin Kranzberg once wrote, Technology is neither good nor bad, nor is it neutral. Technology is neither good nor bad, nor is it neutral. We'll come back to that in a moment. Paul Virilio wrote, 
When you invent the ship, you also invent the shipwreck. When you invent the plane, you also invent the plane crash. And when you invent electricity, you also invent electrocution. Every technology carries its own negativity, which is invented at the same time as technical progress. So neither good, bad, nor neutral. There are other examples of technology's impact in the pages of the Bible. In Judges chapter 4, the Israelites, as punishment for their sin, fell under the power of the Canaanites. They cried out to God for help because their oppressors had 900 chariots of iron. That phrase is repeated throughout the story, 900 chariots of iron. It stresses that the Israelites worried that their enemies had better technology and better resources. Could God really overcome 900 chariots of iron? You'd have to read Judges 4 to find out. In 1 Samuel 17, David looks like a dead duck as he stands before Goliath. Goliath was bigger, stronger, and scarier. But he also had the latest, greatest armor and weapons. David, on the other hand, had a dinky, primitive little sling and a few rocks. Who would you take if you were betting? And think for a moment about the Apostle Paul. He could not have written two-thirds of the New Testament and made his letters widely available without advances in pens, paper, ink, and passable roads, which was one of the greatest developments of the Roman Empire. Technology isn't just the stuff we think about today. Screens, Apple products, and Elon Musk. For a long time now, with examples in Scripture and outside of Scripture, we see that people created in God's image have been shaping, assembling, and utilizing the resources that God has made in new and different ways. And many, if not most of them, have been helpful. And when that happens, we can thank God for it. But we did say earlier that technology isn't neutral. It might not be inherently good. It might not be inherently bad, but it's not neutral either. Why is that? Technology is not neutral because human beings are not neutral. More specifically, human beings are fallen. We are sinners. Many of the most amazing technological advances that we take for granted have been accomplished by some of the most godless people you can imagine. We can chalk that up to God's goodness, God's providence, his common grace. But sinners like us are also frighteningly capable of doing and producing some very bad things with the help of technology. Maybe the most obvious example of this in Scripture occurs with the Tower of Babel. Turn ahead a few chapters to Genesis 11. This is after Adam and Eve, after the Garden of Eden, after Cain and Abel, 
after Noah and the flood. Genesis 11, verse 1. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, behold, they are one people. And they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth. And they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. After Adam and Eve's rebellion in Genesis 3, things kept getting worse. Humanity descended deeper and deeper into sin. And not even the flood of Genesis 6 Solve that problem. And in Genesis 11, we see what may be both literally and metaphorically the peak of humanity's rebellion against God. It's the construction of this tower. Now, what's the story really about? We often read Genesis 11 and are told that the builders were trying to build a tower to heaven to attack and overthrow God. Is that really what's happening here? Well, probably not. More than anything, this story may simply be an illustration of humanity's hubris, pride, and unchecked sinful ambition. This massive tower serves as a symbol of our desire for independence from God. And technology plays a key role in the project. The bricks of verse 3 may have been a new technological advance at the time. Ironically, the bitumen that they use for mortar is the same material that Noah used to hold the ark together. And with these new bricks, humanity could really show off our power. We could build stronger, higher, and more beautiful buildings than ever before. And if we can do this, then what can't we do? On top of that, this power could also really build humanity's reputation. The tower could be a stunning sign of what people can accomplish when we all work together with or without God's assistance, with or without God's approval. And who knows? This tower may even be a good shelter 
if God ever decided to send another flood. But as we saw in verse 8, God rebukes the people's arrogance. He cuts them down to size, scattering them across the earth. Because as it turns out, when you're working in opposition to the God of the universe, technology can only take you so far. Nevertheless, long after that tower fell, we're still trying to get out from under God's thumb. We're still trying to assert our independence from him. And many think technology is the key. After all, who needs to ask God for safe travel if we can eliminate crashes? Who needs to thank God for his physical creation if we can live in a metaverse of our own design? And who needs to worry about heaven and hell if we can overcome death itself? A scholar by the name of Rudolf Bultmann once wrote, It is impossible to use electric light and the wireless to avail ourselves of modern medicine and surgical discoveries and at the same time to believe in the New Testament world of spirits and miracles. Boltman's arguing that the more we learn, the more we accomplish, the more progress we make, how can we possibly believe in the God of this book? But here's the thing. Like the builders of that ancient tower, God has a way of humbling us when we get too big for our britches. Just when we think we've made it to utopia, when we think that we can finally eliminate our need for God once and for all, that we can finally eradicate the effects of sin in our world through technology, just when we think that, the reality of the fall creeps back in and crashes the party. So back to our big question of the morning. How should Christians like us and churches like ours use and think about technology? We said earlier that technology is not inherently good, not inherently bad, but also not neutral. On top of that, Scripture doesn't always address the specifics. There's no chapter and verse telling us at what age your child should get a cell phone. There's no chapter or verse telling you whether or not you should get a COVID vaccination. There's no chapter or verse telling us how to create a God-honoring TikTok. And because of that, we need discernment. Discernment is the art, the practice, and some might say the gift of seeing through things in order to separate the good from the bad. If you're hoping to develop discernment, prayer, scripture, and Christian community, being surrounded by brothers and sisters in Christ is a good way to start. One question that might aid us in discernment, not just with technology, but with pretty much anything, 
is can I take this thing? Can I take this practice? Can I take this opportunity and use it for God's glory? Or, as Craig mentioned earlier from 1 Corinthians 6, is this helpful? Can I use this for God's glory? For example, can the internet be a useful tool in our efforts to obey the Great Commission? I think the answer has to be yes. It allows us to share the gospel with more people in more places than ever before. It gives us a kind of access to doctrinally sound and practically helpful resources that Christians in the past could have only dreamed of. Can medical advances like surgeries, vaccines, and antibiotics be used to glorify God and improve human flourishing? Absolutely they can. Can new scientific ways of addressing food and water shortages be a means of loving our neighbors? You bet they can. Smart, creative, tech-savvy people can use these things to fulfill Paul's guidance in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone and everything I do. Not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. How can we take this technology and use it towards the same ends that the Apostle Paul used it? The glory of God. The advance of his kingdom. That more people might be saved. And how can Christians like us enter into fields of technology to make good contributions that might glorify God? That will all require discernment, great thought, and great prayer. And of course, we must also discern the dangers. The same internet that can be harnessed to share the gospel with countless people can also expose people to horrible, irredeemable things. Good medical advances can glorify God. And they can also tempt us to play God in ways that we simply are not qualified to do. And an abundance of food and water through our own ingenuity may make us feel that we don't really need to pray that God give us our daily bread after all. Because we can figure it out ourselves with technology. In short... If we don't practice discernment, technology can lead us to forget God. It can deceive us into thinking that we don't need God. Studies have found that as standards of living rise in a society, which technology always plays a huge role in, as standards of living rise in a society, faith declines. J.C. Ryle feared that in an age when there is a false glare on the things of time, when we're obsessed with the new, shiny, amazing things that are coming about in our world, there comes a false mist 
on the things of eternity. Don't get so concerned. Don't get so obsessed. Don't place so much of your hope in technology that you forget the things of eternity. Now, there are countless other questions that will require discernment as well. There are ethical, theological, philosophical, and practical conundrums that these advances will throw our way. And all of them will require great discernment. Are there pros and cons to live streaming a church service? Yes, there are. And we've talked about them recently a lot. How far away can I live from a church and still have a meaningful commitment to the people there? If you think about it, most Christians in history didn't have automobiles. And how can we use our time well in an age of constant notifications and distractions? All of these questions will require discernment. Theologian J.V. Fesco asks, How can Christians use technology rather than allowing technology to use us? That might be the biggest question. So we'll get into some of the more practical specifics over the next three Sundays. But for now, here's the most important point of the morning. Technology cannot save us. Technology cannot save us. Tony Renke coined the phrase, the gospel of technology. And he writes, For all its growing power, the gospel of technology stands at a face-off with the gospel of Jesus Christ. For technology to reach its final eternal hopes, it must shove Christ aside. It says, come find safety and security in what is not God, in what we have made and invented. The distortion is older than chariots, older than steam engines, and far older than social media and smartphones with a bitten apple on them, an icon to remind us of the false promises of the Garden of Eden. These same old false promises preached in the gospel of technology can neither save our bodies nor satisfy our souls. Human innovation satisfies human comforts, but starves human hearts. Sinners are always trying to manufacture a new God replacement. And the latest, greatest God replacement never delivers. If you are trying to find joy in technology... And I don't care if that's a new car, a social media platform, a gaming device, or a sex bot. The gospel of technology will drain your soul like a broken cistern. The gospel of technology will not last. But the gospel of Jesus Christ, the only solution for sinners like us, will never be obsolete. No matter how much progress we make in everything else, only the body and blood of Jesus on the cross can address our eternal need. Only the very presence of God himself can redeem a fallen world. 
So can technology be used for God's glory? Absolutely it can be. Though we will need discernment in how we do and don't use it. But more than anything, for all the good that technology can do, we must remember that it can't save us. Only Jesus can do that. One day it will fail, just like the Tower of Babel. Let's pray. Father, again, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time that we've had together to worship you. Thank you for opportunities to read your word, to read your word and look for answers and find things in your word that we may have overlooked before that can provide answers. And Lord, even though your word does not address every single Situation we find ourselves in specifically. You give us endless wisdom in your word. And I pray that we would search your word for that wisdom and take that wisdom and apply it in ways that are beneficial for us and glorifying to you with questions like these and with other questions as well. I pray that you would give us discernment as we figure out how to live faithfully in a world that is changing at a breakneck pace. I pray that we would remain faithful to you when we're tempted to place our hopes and place all of our dreams and place all of our stock in other things that ultimately will fall short. Lord, I pray that you would watch over us, that as we said earlier in the service, we would not place our hopes in horses and chariots. And even though our technology might surpass horses and chariots, our technologies can't hold our hopes either. So Lord, help us place our hopes, place our faith in you. Use the things that we have in this world in a way that glorifies you. Figure out which things to avoid entirely. And ultimately remember that you are our savior. We are not our own saviors. We're not here to make a name for ourselves. We're here to glorify your name. So I pray that you would help us to do that. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. We love you, Lord. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.